Well, good morning. Good to see you. Kids, we're glad to be having you in for, uh, for the month of June. I asked one of my kids what would be kind of a cool thing to do here in June with kids sticking around. She told me we should go horseback riding. So you never know. You'll have to keep coming back uh, each, each week in June to see if that, if that goes on or not. Um, listen, uh, kids in particular, uh, one month ago today, the first Sunday in uh, May, we had you guys all kind of gather around nice and close. Anyone been working on their Rubik's Cube skills? Anyone inspired by that guy that, that, that did that? That was pretty cool, huh? Um, anyone remember what the word rad stood for in terms of the uh, guide to, uh, to, to parenting? My kids get grilled on this all the time because they're the preacher's kid. But how about you, Nicholas? Let's hear it. Radical? Yeah, it stands for radical, yes. Rad was also an acronym. R stood for something, A stood for something, and D stood for something. Lindsay, do you have... Let's hear it. Okay, this is the kids' guide to uh, to honoring and obeying their parents. Put your hand out, even. How about you, William? Yeah, right away, all the way, and don't grumble and complain. Right now, the bigger thing is how we've been doing with that. Right, it takes God's help in us to actually pull this stuff off. Right, it's really challenging. Any kids finding it challenging to obey in this way? Yeah? It's hard, huh? It really is hard. We need prayer for that kind of thing, huh? But hopefully those kind of things stick with you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I want to have you open to Matthew 25 this morning. That's where we're going to be uh, for most of the morning. And while you're turning there, I want you to... um, You don't have to put your hand up on this one, but uh, probably many in this room, um, especially uh, over a certain age perhaps, um, have uh, have tried dieting in some way, shape, or form. And you've, you've gone on some sort of a diet... And uh, there's a little bit of snickering that goes on with that. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, and let me, just, let me just throw out to you, perhaps, perhaps your dieting experience was something like this. Um, you start off in the morning and you decide, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a diet this week. And so it's you know, January 1st or whatever. You decide June 1st. That seems like a good time. And so for breakfast, you have half a grapefruit, one slice of whole wheat toast, and you decide to throw in eight ounces of skim milk. Okay, that's your breakfast. Pretty decent. Lunch, you uh, move on to four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, one cup steamed zucchini. I don't know where you do this in the office, but people do. Um, One Oreo cookie, you held yourself to that, and some herbal tea. Um, Mid-afternoon snack is the rest of the package of Oreos, uh, one quart of Rocky Road ice cream, one jar of hot fudge. Dinner consists of two loaves of garlic bread, large pepperoni and mushroom pizza, large pitcher of root beer, two Snickers bar, and an entire frozen cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. Uh, some people, that's just in one day, some people um, can relate to that kind of dieting experience because you, you start off and you're, you're really gung-ho and you're excited about it and um, you start to turn into a hobbit, you know, it's like second breakfast, third breakfast and all these little meals and snacks that kind of start to fill in. And in a way, that's, that's a little bit of the way that a lot of people, and, and I've, I've tasted of this too, where you, you kind of have your Christian life go the same way. You ever wake up in the morning and you're just, you're just on fire, like what a beautiful day. You're just in a good mood and, um, and you, you found some time for some prayer and, um, and for some, some Bible study and you started your day off really, really right. And you're like, God, I'm just committing this day to you. You want to walk in his ways. You want to follow him the rest of your, of your literal day and the rest of your days. And um, sometimes by mid-morning there's some issues. Sometimes by lunch you're, you're ready to throw in the towel and and sometimes by, by mid-afternoon, you've chucked the whole thing, and you're, you're just as far away from the Lord, in a sense, from, from, a, from a feeling standpoint, as you ever have been. 
And it can be really, really frustrating to, to, to do that. And we rationalize, don't we? We kind of go into the Christian life a little bit like dieting sometimes. Sometimes people are like, well, if I drink diet soda, it cancels out this candy bar I'm eating, you know? And, and if, uh, you know, if other people are eating calories with me, it doesn't count so much. And if I do it on the weekends, I'm going to... And we, we do, we kind of play these, these little games that we, that we have. And, um, and to, to some degree, um, uh, this is what this demanding series is all about. It's to point out that it's, it's not a cakewalk to follow Christ. And if you've been sold a lie that said, hey, come to Jesus and your life's going to be perfect and great and everything will work out for you, um, if, you've, if you've been sold that lie, it's just that it really is a lie. And, um, and there's so much in the scriptures about perseverance. There's so much in the scriptures about rewarding faithfulness. There's so many people in, in the Bible that, that God highlights their story. And their story isn't one of just gradual, uh, uh, incremental growth. And they just end as this pinnacle of a, of, a, of a child of God. Rather, what you often see is you see real people with really rough edges, with, with some pretty big blunders in their, in their past that they have to deal with, and yet, and yet God's grace covers that, and then, and then in the end, he's looking for faithful servants. And this demanding series is talking about the day-to-day. We just sang this line that says, you have shown us what you require. And he really has. It's, it's plain as day laid out in scriptures, and that's what we're looking at in this series, is what is it that God demands of us? And again, a, a more politically correct way of doing this, a softer self for us as a congregation, is, is the whole notion that, that God invites us on a journey and, and all that. And I, and I use that kind of language too sometimes. But there's also things that you read the scripture and you say, no, this is pretty clear. This is a command given to us by our Heavenly Father. We're either going to obey it right away, all the way, without grumbling or complaining, the way that God tells kids to obey and honor their parents, or we're going to choose to rebel against the Father thereby saying with our actions, saying with our feet, saying with our will, we don't trust you. We don't really believe that you have the best in mind for us. So that's what we're looking at as we're kind of marching forward. Uh, This morning, we want to look at this idea um, of standing beside the lonely. Now, if you typed in stand beside the lonely in the scriptures, I don't think you could find that anywhere, that exact phrase. But what I'm going to do is try and paint a picture for you that that, that is what, what God would, would have us do. That's just a, a different way of wording some maybe more familiar Bible passages that we're going to look at. Hopefully you're in Matthew 25. We'll get to that in a second. Um, as a youth pastor for a lot of years in this city, uh, junior high through college, um, I had a lot of people come to, to know the Lord and, and they get excited about their faith and they say, Dave, I'm just so excited. Jesus is present with me and he's helping me in my everyday life. And I know that he's calling me to reach out to people who are hurting. And I go, man, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what he's calling, calling you to do. Now, what is that? And they say, well, I think, it's, you know, I think it's my roommate in college, or I think it's this classmate, or I think it's this neighbor down the street, or whoever it might be. And sometimes I've had this story come back to me. They, they schedule an appointment. They just say, man, I'm so excited, Dave. I want your prayer, and I need some answers to a few questions that people are having. But I'm so excited because I'm reaching out to this person and they're really lonely, and, and they said, man, they've, they've never had someone care for them like I have. They've never had someone really sit and listen um, without trying to, to fix me or shoot back answers or whatever like I have. And they're just on cloud nine, spiritually speaking. And they're, and they're, they're wanting prayer, they're wanting kind of reinforcement as they continue ministering to this person because it's tiring. Here's what happens sometimes. 
Six days later, they say, Dave, can I have another appointment? I say, sure, we get together. And they say this. I am so sick of this person that God has called me to reach out to. I mean, they're calling me all the time. I can't do this. I don't want to reach out to this person anymore. It's tiring. They're so incredibly needy. Are you sure this is what Jesus would have me do? Surely there's like, you know, something at church I can just Can I just set up chairs or something? That seems a lot easier than really ministering to this person. And, um, and I kind of have a little smile on my face because here's what I realize is that the second you start to, to wade into people's lives, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir to many of you. As I speak this morning, here's what I realize. Some of you who need to feel the weight of the Holy Spirit to get up out of your chair and as we just sang, keep us from just singing about it, talking about it, studying about it, reading more and more about it. You need to get in and do it. Some of you who, who need to be feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit in that may go through this whole morning and be covered by, by, a, by a calloused heart. Some of the most sensitive people in here who are already busting it and sacrificing so much to stand beside the lonely are going to feel the weight of the Holy Spirit all the more and feel like, man, I need to squeeze out that one more tiny amount. And my, my prayer this whole week is, God, would you do something special in our congregation where, 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 where those who aren't engaged in this begin to engage for the first time. Those who were engaged in a different season of life would get reawakened. And Spirit, would you fan the flame and just cause people to go, what else am I going to live for? The cabin? The weekend? Come on. And for those who've never tasted this, never walked down this road, that they would start to, to look outside themselves and, and engage. Sometimes as we start to engage, we realize that people can be a little bit like leeches and they can latch on to someone. I noticed this particularly if we ever had an attractive girl or an attractive guy and they ever showed out of Christian care and Christian love uh, you know, uh, any kind of attention to certain kinds of people, that would be misconstrued as, man, you're the first person that's actually even you know, hung out with me for two minutes and it can be problematic. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want to talk a little bit about, um, about God's command for us to stand beside the lonely. But I also want to hopefully uh, encourage you and equip you with some ways to say, you have some emotional baggage. You need help carrying that. Let me, let me kind of give you some handles to kind of come and help people along with that without getting sucked dry or sucked down under, under the water in the process. Matthew 25 Verses 31 to 46. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but follow along with me if you're open to it. It says this. Talking about the sheep and the goats, and this is familiar terminology if you've been around church at all and around Jesus at all. This is Jesus talking about himself. He refers to himself often in the scriptures as the Son of Man. He says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will, put on, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, when, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Verse 40, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he turns to the goats on his left and he says exactly the opposite. All these things, you didn't feed me. You didn't give me something to drink. You didn't clothe me. You didn't invite me in. You didn't visit me in prison. And skip down to verse 45. I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then he will go away to eternal then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me just point out a couple of things from this passage. First is this, Jesus is coming back. That's a stated truth in Scripture. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a little nuance of some side part of Christianity. It's a fundamental hallmark of what we believe the God of the Bible preaches. That is that Jesus is coming back. And if our only image of Jesus is, is him in the, in, the, in the play that we saw as a kid or whatever else, we, we, we need to go and read Revelation today. And understand that there's a king coming back in all of his glory and all the nations will be there. And he's going to be on a throne and he'll be a judge. So that's the picture being painted for us. Secondly is this, that that reward awaits sheep and punishment awaits goats. Again, we like to have this notion that says God's a loving and gracious God. And so he's probably going to help, you know, kind of just herd everyone into this mode. And the Bible paints it really clearly, uses different kinds of terms. Wheat and weeds, sheep and goats. But there's a definitive line. Apples and oranges, two very different kinds of things being weighed on the scale. God says he's going to come and judge. Both decisions, the reward and the punishment, have eternal consequences to them. Another popular notion that, again, I think we've just dreamt up because we don't like the idea of eternal anything, is that eternal punishment seems really, really harsh. And so we've said, well, it's not really eternal punishment. There's many that would preach that you don't go to hell forever and get punished forever. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Finally, is that in Matthew 25, there's a deciding factor. And the deciding factor in this passage, as Jesus teaches it, is based on what they did or did not do. That's the judgment. As you you weigh them out. Are you a sheep? Are you a goat? The shepherd's going to judge what they did and did not do with their time right here on earth. Now there's some of you right now that have your heads reeling and you're saying, wait a minute. Are you preaching that, that we're saved by our works, by whether we do something or don't do something? That's opposite of what I think we teach at this church. That, that, that should be kind of grinding some gears in your, in your theological head for a second. Because when you read a passage like this, you say, well, that sounds like you're starting to lean towards you know, justification, being made righteous by God based on our actions. And I thought it was a work of God. And you might have this passage rolling ahead, around in your head, even if you couldn't find the address, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let me have everyone just... Take a deep breath. We're not preaching a works theology. Praise God for that. That's not good news, people. A works theology is not good news. In fact, it's what Jesus came and he railed against that kind of thing. He preached against that kind of religion that keeps people in bondage. We could never do enough good works. So take a deep sigh of of, of relief. However, you read this passage and you still see something in effect. 
Many people quote that passage over and over and over in their Christian walk and they become stagnant if they were ever saved because they haven't paid attention to the very next verse. How many of you just, not even by show of hands, just, uh, I bet many of you in this room have heard that passage quite often that I just read. Again, you may not be able to find it in your Bible, but that ought to be a very, very familiar passage to you. Here's the very next verse, verse 10. After saying it's not by works so that no one can boast, verse 10 says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, catch this, to do good works, which God prepared beforehand uh, for us to do. You know what this is? This is a beautiful imagery of taking the idea of saved by, by grace through faith alone and yet putting it into action. It's the whole book of James, really. And these two verses are right next to Scripture. Paul's bringing them right next to each other. To say, for those of you who say, I believe, I'm good, I'm in, Paul would echo James. He'd say, good for you, so do demons. You aren't called just to believe in me and to acknowledge I am who I am. That's just seeing me for who I am. You're also called, remember, to follow me. And if I could take all of demanding this whole series and all these demands and requirements that God's calling us to do, and I could boil it down to two words, it would be the two words Jesus offered to, to people as he called them. Follow me. That's it. Follow me. As you follow Christ, he will not lead you into certain kinds of behaviors, won't he? He will not lead you into certain kinds of spending patterns. He will not lead you into certain places. He will lead you into some places that are really uncomfortable. He will lead you into a place of growth. He will lead you into a place of growing sanctification, a growing uh, made in his image that, that will go on. So what are these good works that we're to do? Here's what I would say. Matthew 25 5 provides a very impartial list, but it's a great starting point. Here Jesus is commending those who are feeding the hungry who's giving drink to those who are thirsty, who's inviting strangers in and visiting prisoners in prison. Are there more kinds of good works? Of course there are. But here's what I would say about this. For those of you who would rest on, I prayed a prayer 10 years ago, I believe, and shouldn't that be enough? I would point, I put this in your, in your, pass, in your uh, bulletin outline this morning because I, I thought this passage was so important. How do you know? How do you know that, that, that God has regenerated you? That God has given you a new spirit? Taking your heart of flesh and, and or give it your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. 1 John 3.17 says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know, circle that word in your bulletin, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we can set our hearts at rest in His presence. Evidence of God's saving grace in our life is that good fruit will emerge. You will start to have a heart for people you didn't have a heart for before. You'd see them and you'd think, oh, poor them, that's pity. Anyone can have pity. Some of, some of us, if we're honest, we see people go, bummer for you, I'm glad I'm not you. It can be a, something as simple and mundane as a flat tire and go, man, and it's raining. Woo, we turn the heat up a little bit. You know, and, and again, we, we wouldn't ever say that in church, but, but we think it sometimes, don't we? We go, man, I'm glad I don't have a flat tire. 
Or it could be something as devastating as seeing a child running around barefoot and almost naked in a dirt, in a dirt field, scrounging for something to eat. And we can kind of have our, our stomach churn for a second, but then we change the channel and go, let's get on with our prime time uh, TV viewing, because that's kind of disruptive to me. And so, and so we wrestle with this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, God will begin to put things on our heart and on our mind and on our will to do that we'll start submitting to God's will in this. And we'll stop walking by them and we'll, we'll start engaging with them. And that's the good fruit that we see. I put some related commands uh, in your bulletin. Again, you won't see stand beside the lonely. I don't think anywhere in Scripture. But you'll see some of these kinds of things. Be always abounding in God's work. Don't be weary in doing well. Look after orphans and widows. Mimic God as father to the fatherless, defender of widows, setting the lonely in families. That passage we read out of Psalm 68 this morning. And that's what we're to be about. Jesus said this, I must be about my father's business, my father's work. And that's just a good litmus test. Today, am I about my father's work? Or am I about my work? God demands that his people, which is the church, love the marginalized disenfranchised, and that they do it diligently, that they persevere in it. It's so easy to schedule one week out for the summer, go on a missions trip to a different place, kind of have it all together for a week, and then go, whew, good, glad we got that taken care of. I'll tell you what short-term missions trips ought to be about, and that's totally what they're about at this church. They, they ought to be about a toe dip that kind of starts to suck you in and go, you can do this at home. My son and I, Ethan, a few years ago went to, to uh, New Orleans, I think with the same crew that, uh, that, that Vivian and, and some others went the following year. And I love the way that this organization that was a suburban, predominantly white church, kind of outskirts of, of New Orleans, um, God just took their entire mission and vision and existence as a church and turned it upside down. And they began to be known as the church with the stained carpets. Because every single, every single week, they would take every chair in their sanctuary, and it was about four or five times the size of this one. And they'd scoot all the chairs out, and they'd put up tables so that all these teams that were flooding in from all over the country, mostly Christians, by the way, could eat, sleep on their floors, dirty up their carpets, thrash their walls and bathrooms, and just use the building for what it was. It was a mission. And this pastor of that church, I continue to get his, his updates and, and whatnot, um, and, and they're not done. It's not like they had Hurricane Katrina and they just, they just did it for a little while, a little one-year stint. They're still at it. There are people who've come one time to this, decided God's calling them to plant here. And I chatted with this guy. He lived up in the northeast somewhere. He called back and said, I'm leaving my job. Honey, we're moving. And he moved his several kids down because so, he, was, he was exactly where he was supposed to be doing, serving these people in New Orleans. And by the way, when we were there for the week that we were there or so, when bombs go off, spiritual, financial, or natural, you know what happens? We just get shaken to our core. And everywhere you go, you find a story of someone who's lonely. I'll tell you what lonely looks like. It looks like this right here. Every face, you just go, man, this person's got a story. Every person, you say, how were you hit by Katrina? And I'm not just talking about, well, we got a little bit wet. I'm talking about deaths. My brother died. My, my other person over here, they're gone. We don't even know where they are still. This is gone forever. We'll never have this again. Devastating kinds of things that went on. God demands His church 
to stand beside the lonely. I want to give you just two things this morning. Um, one is this, that how do we stand beside the lonely? We stand beside the lonely by being part of a church. We stand beside the lonely by being part of the church. There's a problem when individuals take on what was meant to be accomplished by a team or in community. The result of this is, is this kind of thing. Again, see if you have, have, um, have experienced this in some way, shape, or form. Uh, friendship abuse. Friendship abuse is when someone just starts to come in and just suck every last ounce out of you. And then they pull this one. If you don't, if you don't, you know, if they don't respond to your, I mean, now it's all the more, right? With text and instant everything and yada, yada. You know, don't you care for me? I thought you were a Christian. All this. And you're like, I guess I better. And so it's just friendship abuse. You know, friendship abuse leads to, it leads to um, burnout, which leads to resentment, which leads to you putting up walls, which leads to more isolation and a greater sense of loneliness amongst the community and neighborhood. Do you see how that pattern works? And so how is it that we're supposed to reach out and help people without becoming that? Where we just go, man, I'm burned and I don't want to do this. I've talked to people before who say, Dave, I'm really scared. Ten years ago, we had this person come and live with us. We thought we were doing godly things and we're, we're still hurting from it. And I feel like God wants me to reach out to this person again. What should I do? You know what I tell them? I say, right away, you're already doing something better. Last time, did you talk to a pastor or seek any counsel on this? They said, no, we didn't. We marched headlong into it. I said, you're already way ahead of the game. You're bringing someone else into it. You're bringing the church into it. This was never meant for you to come in, put on your junior God badge, and save them from anything. Because you can't do it. It's, it's, a, it's a fool's errand to, to, to go and do that. 1 Corinthians 12.26 is talking about the church as a body. Remember that? That, that, that we're a body. And, and he says this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Not one person suffers the whole burden of this one person over here. And then it says, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We saw a beautiful picture last night in this building um, Lizzie's going to Japan. Last week, many of you heard about her story a little bit. And her prayer is that God would put five people on her heart that she cares so much about that she'd overcome her fear of sharing Christ and the gospel so that, that, that she would just be a, a witness to, to these people. And in this room, a community of people were here to support Lizzie in going overseas this summer for about six weeks. A lot of cost is involved. We can't all go to Japan this summer but we can all kind of play this role in helping her and in rejoicing with her in what she's going to do. And when she comes back and tells us the God stories that are going on in Japan with a church plant over there, we're just going to get fired up about it. We're going to rejoice with Lizzie because it's God's victory and we're a part of God's family. Uh, look at this picture for a minute. Imagine one person on this boat on this crew team trying to accomplish what this, what this crew team is, is, is trying to accomplish. They're in a race right now. You can't see the other boats. Maybe they're practicing. But you just take one guy in one of those orange shirts doing it, and it, it wouldn't go very well, right? Because part of it is as he's rowing, he's going to have to be looking back because he can't really see where he's going. You take even the best guy, the strongest guy, the most charismatic guy, he's not going to do it at all. He's going to fail miserably. Take the little dude in the white hat, or maybe it's a lady, I'm not sure, but he's there kind of directing the show, right, calling out shots. He doesn't have any paddles, so he'd be sitting there just kind of floating around. This is the picture if the church decides to, to go after people, to go do this mission that we're to do alone. We're going to get picked off. We're going to fail miserably. 
instead of finishing the race, instead of persevering and working together. Here's, here's the solution. If that's the problem, the, the problem when individuals taking on a, a, a community task, here's the, the solution. Uh, I want you to flip over just for a moment to Galatians. Turn to your right about, I don't know, 10 books or so, and um, you'll find Galatians and turn to, to chapter 6. And in Galatians chapter 6, uh, we find a couple of really key ideas that I want us to, to hone in on. Some of you understand this process of what it means that God opens your eyes to your own sin, to the gospel, to you being forgiven your sin, and all of a sudden your eyes are transformed in, 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 in how you, you look at people. You're not judging them by what they wear or drive anymore. You're not judging them on how many pounds they have or don't have, how, what their hairline looks like, uh, you know, what, any of that nonsense. You start to see these, uh, these eternal souls and you go, man, this person's a person created in God's image for a reason. And this person's got a limited amount of time on earth, just like I do. And, and, and you start to, to engage in their lives in a, in a different kind of a way, hopefully less superficial. And as you do that, you start to see that, that people have issues. And, and part of marriage, right, is that you learn that your mate has issues. And then, shock of shocks, you realize, so do you. You have issues. And you have issues you didn't even know until you got married and your spouse pointed them out for you. And that's part of it. That's part of marriage. It really is. A part of marriage is you get this mirror looking back at you that you go, man, that's a really ugly side of me that I couldn't ever see before. I'm sure it's been there, but no one's ever had the guts or been close enough to really call me on it. And by the way, if you can speak truthfully in love to one another, that's a precious, precious gift. It's a precious thing to continue to say, I love you and I choose to be with you and I'm committed to you, not just because of my vow to God, but I'm choosing to commit to you even despite your faults. And isn't that a beautiful picture of God in us? Grace. We need the gospel at the very center of these marriages. But as you see people, you see their issues and you see their faults. And then Galatians 6 gives us some insight. Look at verse 1. Brothers, talking to the community really, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Stand beside the lonely by being part of the church. And being part of the church is that we do restore people when they fall in sin. Sometimes Christians are terrible at this. Sin surfaces and we shun them. The scriptures give some very clear indications and procedures for how we're to restore people. It even gives us this, this heads up not to do this kind of thing alone. Uh, here's my first solution is this. Shepherd yourself as you shepherd others. That's one of the first rules. You ought to be shepherding yourself as you look to shepherd others. Lead yourself well as you lead other people. If you're not shepherding yourself well, then what happens is... Pride comes before the fall, and you'll think that you're secure in an area, and you'll get yanked right down into a sinful area that, that you never saw coming. You need to continue to shepherd yourself well as you continue to pour out and lead into others. Our community group leaders that are scattered all through this room right now, our Sunday school teachers and, and leaders in children's ministry, our youth workers that are doing this, they're all encouraged to, to, to do this ongoing. We talk about this a lot. It's a culture that says, man, it all ought to be out of an overflow of what's going on with you and the Lord. 
The second it doesn't start to be that, it starts to become a vacuum and you become a, a potentially really dangerous person in this church. And the scriptures warn us against that. Life is a little bit like this frozen lake. I don't know if you've ever seen a frozen lake, but there's something super alluring about a frozen pond or lake to me. I don't know why. It's just so beautiful. It looks so amazing. And it's just fun to take a snowball and chuck it on there and watch it just kind of, you know, shatter. And then take a bigger, you know, like chunk of ice or something and watch it just go. And there's something in us, I think, that, that wants to walk on, on frozen lakes, right? Um, some of you have been in cold enough places that you've skated on or, or, or been on or seen cars drive on big, thick, you know, things of ice. Oftentimes there's a sign there that says danger, thin ice, you know, stay off of it. And what happens is over time, you know, we, we kind of... We kind of cruise around for a while, and we're like, it's safe. You know, it's good. We're all good. And we lose our respect for it, and, and, and we're, we're there playing on it. And, and you see others that are always kind of, you know, pushing the outer limits of it. They're like, look, I'm fine. You know, I found this picture of a kid doing a handstand on, a, on an ice thing, and that's part of it. You're like, you see that guy out there, he looks like he's having more fun than, than on the shore. And then all of a sudden, you know, something can, can go on, and the ice can crack. And again, if, if, if I can think of, of horrible, horrible ways to die... Um, I think I think falling through ice and having this view, unless you're a seal, this is a scary, scary view. This is from below an, an ice, you know, pond or something, and, and you're looking up to that one little hole, and there's a face. It's hard to see, but there's a face looking down at you. I mean, this would just be terrifying, wouldn't it? And and in essence, if you think about it, this is a little bit like um, like life it is is that people really are down there. There's an urgent amount of time. It, it's, it's an urgent situation that they're down there. It's not just it's not just endless that they have while they're under that ice. They need rescue right now, and they're powerless to get themselves out. The good news of the gospel is is an ice rescue mission. It's coming alongside and pulling people out of this place where they can't get out of on their own. They're trapped in sin. They're trapped in the flesh. We're all slaves to something. We're slaves to righteousness, the Bible says, or we're slaves to sin. If you've ever watched someone get rescued on a frozen pond, have you guys ever seen this? I mean, maybe not in person, hopefully. But if someone falls through ice, and there's a bunch of thin ice, and you're, and you're there, and you want to rescue that person, it would do no good to go walking out there, because what's going to happen? You're going to fall through the ice, Right? And now it's double the, 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 the problem. You haven't helped anyone. You've just put yourself in danger. So, so what they do is, is it's really important to have a community around, right? To have a, a, a team of people around. And the idea is, I'll hold on to your ankle, you hold on to my ankle, and, and so on and so forth, and we'll inch out and we'll grab this person and we'll, and we'll pull them to safety. That's what I mean by saying, stand beside the lonely by being part of a church. The way this looks in, in real practical life is this. Guys, I'm, I'm living with this, with this roommate, and, um, and you know, he's, just, he's just going off the deep end and, and this and that. Um, but, but, but he's invited me into to this area of life over here, whatever. And, and, you're, and you're telling your, your accountability group, you're telling your community group, would you guys be in prayer for me this Thursday night? I'm going to go do this. And I, I don't feel tempted in the areas that, that he's inviting me to, but, but I want to go in and get him. And I feel like it's thin ice around there. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not really sure if I have the answers or the, or the tools, but, but I, I want to know my brothers and sisters are, are, are praying for me in this. And this idea of coming and gathering for encouragement and reinforcement and, and a power punch so that we can scatter back to the people that, that, that we're ministering to and pulling them to safety is this beautiful, incredible picture. 
I would challenge you who are engaged in this to point people toward Jesus dependency and not you dependency. What happens sometimes is people get roped into a group of people or an individual. And if all the time I hear about someone saying, man, I've got to tell you about this one person in my life and all you ever hear is about their wisdom and their input and their love and their care, you go, do you know that Frank's not the Savior? Frank didn't die for you. And Frank's going to let you down. Hopefully Frank, the Christian, is mature enough to, to keep handing off that allegiance to, to, to Jesus. And so someone who says, man, I've been in the same kind of group for 25 years, I don't know if that's the best thing. I would say, man, haven't you guys matured to a point now that you've all scattered and started your own group with people who need uh, maturing and growing up and help? And then periodically you guys can come check back in and, and all of that. And so keep pointing people to Jesus and giving him the glory and, and, and moving people on. We want someone we can touch. We want someone we can see. We want someone we can call and hear from right away. So usually the person you're helping will not initiate or help that process. You have to be the one that says, look, I'm going to answer the phone this time, but did you already call Jesus? Did you already talk to Jesus about this? Have you run to him with your hurt? Sometimes people say, yeah, I've called this person, this person, this person, and I finally got a hold of you. And I go, have you prayed about it yet? Have you, have you, have you sought the word at all yet? And they go, no. I go, why don't you go do that and then call me, call me back after you do that. I want to be there for you. I want to be a listening ear, but I want to be second place. That's how that looks. Here's an exciting thing that's going on. Um, as, I, as I kind of meander around the church and, and, I'm, and I'm in some of your homes and in some, and, and in some of your tongue tied, uh, stories and hearing what's going on, I am finding a really, really healthy level of ministry that's going on that I know nothing about, that I'm finding out about kind of secondhand. Because it's not really directly a part of Neighborhood Bible Church. It's not a program we started. It's not this top-down that's being, that's being handed down and programs within the four walls of the church. And that's a great, great thing. I would say a healthy church should be that the, that the pastor and the pastors on, on staff are, are both initiating and helping lead and galvanize teams of people and, 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 and giving vision, but also that, that people once in a while are saying... Man, I'd love to go do that ministry with you guys, but I can't because I'm tied up with this thing over here. And I go, well, what's going on over here? And they go, well, we've got this thing in our neighborhood going on. And it's this little prayer gathering that happens every Saturday morning right at the same time you guys are doing that neighborhood walk. And I'm kind of torn. And the pastor says, man, that's brilliant. Don't you dare come to our function. Don't you dare leave what's going on over there. You stay right there where, where, where God's got you. You're influencing your world, which is what we talked about last week. You're being salt and light right there in your community. No one else has access to that neighborhood like you do. Don't you dare come to our church function. And usually pastors aren't known to say that. They're usually trying to get people to come. And there ought to be this, this healthy balance of, of this kind of thing going on. And then when that's going on, we come in here, we say, hey, tell us more about what's going on. I actually think about, about uh, Ron, Ron and Vivian's ministry with, with the uh, bikers at, at Christmas time. We've been able to, to join into something that, that they've been a part of. Because frankly, it, it outgrew their family. And so they've, they've roped more and more people into this ministry. A final thing on, on being, uh, being part of the church is this. It starts with this, not just being content to, to mention a difficulty, a lonely person, a prayer request, or a need, or to mention it to a staff or simply pray about it. 
It's where you shift from praying about it to realizing the Holy Spirit saying to you, you're the answer to this, to this prayer. Go be the answer to what you're praying about. God, there's a person right next to me, and they're so lonely. And they're just, they're, they're picked on by everyone in the office. I can tell they just don't seem very happy. Would you please bring someone into their life to just give them hope and a friend? Just maybe a smile and say hello. Would you please do that, Lord? Amen. There ought to be something that says, uh, <clears throat> that's you. You're right next door. Stop praying. Another thing pastors don't often say, but stop praying at that point. Go over and initiate with that person. Be the answer to the prayer. Here's the second thing. Stand beside the lonely by being the church. Not just should you be part of the church and not go at it alone, but you ought to stand beside the lonely simply by being the church. The church is God's people. It's a gathering of, of the, the people of God. As you are the church, not just on Sunday mornings inside of a building, here's what will happen. You'll get your hands really, really dirty. Other days you'll get your hands really, really clean as, as maybe you're washing other people's feet or, or, or doing dishes for them or serving them in some way, shape, or form. But the command, the call for us, church, is to just go and be the church. That's what it's about. Uh, someone said this one time that the, the church is the light of the world and like all lights, it attracts bugs. And if you've ever been camping or been outside and you've lit in your Coleman, Coleman lantern, you know this to be true. Bugs are just flying in all over the place. And sometimes churches attract people that are really, really difficult. Maybe a little bit like a gnat. At first, they just kind of annoy you. And that's where you have to die to yourself. I remember looking at my youth group often and saying, what kind of youth group would, would, would Jesus have? Would it be all the, the cool kids, the in crowd with lots and lots of money who are super good at sports, by the way, and getting straight A's? Or would it have a little bit of a different flavor to it? And I always felt like if, if the entire church looks too similar to me or looks too similar to kind of a narrow band of our community, we're not hitting it right. And I mentioned last week that I feel like we're in a season we need some more salty characters, some more salty people in our church. What it means is people who go, I don't have any clue how to act in church, what I'm supposed to do in church. And we say, praise God, that's exactly the kind of person we need in the church to come to Jesus. The command is to go and preach the gospel to a lost and lonely world. And this love ought to flow out of what God's doing in you. But here's one of the challenges. Look again at this title slide. If you see this kids standing on the road and you wait a few minutes and there's no one around i don't think there's a person in this room that would go good luck kid i mean i'd have to move my backpack to give you a chair and i don't even have a, car, a child seat and i don't even know your name so hope things work out no everyone would stop for this kid we we just would it's it's easy when when it's this right what's hard is that we we don't see this kid as, you know, a 295-pound tattooed guy on Harley four doors down from us. He might be this kid, but we don't see him that way. An aging parent that is, that is being demanding of our time and really hard to, to get along with as they get older in age. A cousin that shows up out of the blue into our life again. This friend that that we've felt like we've tried to reach out and share and we just keep getting spurned by them or, or backstabbed by them. That's where it gets really demanding. 
But, but what if we could see spiritually that they really are like this lonely kid standing on the side of the road? And we keep feeling the nudge of Jesus to go and befriend, go and stand beside. I want to close with this. How can I help? Let me just say this. It starts here and it starts right now. Standing beside the lonely can begin right now and, and today. Um, we actually have, after the service here, in just a couple of minutes, a, a church barbecue. We do this every first Sunday of the month. And we're going to be outside uh, in, in the, uh, the, the, the front area enjoying a meal. It ought to be true that after a message like this morning, wouldn't you agree, that, that no one should be sitting there totally by themselves for any length of time. If so, either I'm a terrible speaker or, or, we just, or we're just in a, in a habit of hearing a, a cute message or it's just become so second place and, and common to us that we don't even, it doesn't even trigger that we're the ones that need to take action on that. It's easy in a church to go, that's Dave's job. He's the one getting paid to be the friendly guy and pass around. I'm not really that outgoing. I don't even know that person. I want to catch up with my friend over here. It's hard for all of us to go outside of ourselves sometimes and go do that. Here's the other catch. Some of us have played this card for far too long. I try church after church after church after church, and no one really talks to me. No one really befriends me. And you go, well, are you a Christian? They say, yeah. Do you have a spirit of God in you? Yeah, I absolutely do. Who are you loving? Who are you going after? There's probably others who are saying the exact same thing, but they're not even saved yet. They, they don't even have the hope of Jesus in them yet. Here you are looking to get your needs met when God wants you to be on mission and, and pouring out to other people and in looking to other people. I, I started off with this word. How do you stand beside the lonely? You're available. But then I got to thinking, I thought, available is really the wrong term. Because I think for year after year after year, people say, I'm available, Lord. I'll go if you want me to. I'm available. And I had heard a long time, be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. And so I've heard this. And I'm like, available is, is what we got to be. But I think that that's not really true. I think the way that you can help the lonely is this. I scratched that out. I put, is to initiate. Didn't Jesus command us to go? Didn't Jesus send didn't Jesus come from a different culture to our culture to stand beside the lonely, to set us in families? So rather than just being available for 20 years, you don't think God wants to use you in a 20-year span? If you feel like you've been available for the last 20 years and you've just never heard the call, it could be that you're missing something. I don't think God's content to just have you be available for your entire life. That's taking the talents that God's given to you and it's burying it. And all the while, God's saying, why didn't you just initiate and go start with your next-door neighbor? Literally, your next-door neighbor. Your neighbor across the street, your neighbor behind you. The person that you see every single day at Starbucks, sometimes twice a day. Initiate! Get outside yourself and do it. I put the word stand beside because of this. Standing beside someone, standing beside the lonely, requires close proximity. And when you're next to someone, you're forced to just go, you're forced to relate to them in some way, aren't you? Um, a habit that I sometimes am in is to go and sit beside people who are, who are uh, begging for money outside of, of a restaurant or, or somewhere. And God hasn't blessed me with just you know, tons of Benjamins that I just kind of freely chuck around to people, but he's blessed me with time and he's blessed me with a mouth and two ears. And so I'll come and I'll just sit beside him sometimes. 
And once in a while, you start to engage with someone and talk with them, and you realize, man, more than a 20 or more than a meal, this guy really uh, is enjoying a conversation. He's enjoyed being looked at in the eyes and talked to. Many of you have walked the streets of San Francisco with me late at night, and we find that, don't you? You walk away and you go, man, these are real people. These are regular people. That gives me courage to just go talk to just about anyone. And just initiating with them, standing beside them, saying, hey, what can I pray for you about? And you just start to to engage a little bit. You're not lording over them. You're standing beside them, coming to being a friend. My second thing would be this. Who knows what this means? What is it, Zach? Huh? God be with you, right? Another way, another way of saying it would be go with God. Both of those, both of those kind of kind of go together. It's all it's it's kind of an expression uh, that that people. It's kind of vernacular that would use to to kind of to to send someone on a journey sometime. And what I would say is this is a great promise. God is with us. He's promised to be present with us. Claim that. Walk in that. Jesus said, it's good that I go away so that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will be with you always wherever you go. And finally, in in helping the lonely, sometimes you see the lonely as a massive group of people. Go help orphans in the world. Go help the, the hungry. Go help the strangers amongst us, those who are, who are uh, foreigners. That's a large group of people. You can't help them all, but you can pick one, can't you? Find one lonely person. Start there. And just start to, to, to love on them. I want to invite the band up right now. There's this great closing scene in, uh, or a scene in the, in the movie Hook, which is a, a remake of Peter Pan with Robin Williams in it. And there's this scene where Grandma Wendy is having this banquet given in her honor. And as she's there, um, one by one, these people that Grandma Wendy had roped in, orphans, and set the lonely in families. One by one, they began to stand up and just acknowledge Grandma Wendy. And they just kind of zoom in on this old woman's face and tears just well up in her eyes as she starts to see this entire room full of people. And one by one, through an entire lifetime, she had taken in the lonely and given them a place to belong and said unequivocally with her heart and her finances and her life, you matter. You're somebody. And you're going to be placed in a a home. And I thought, what an amazing picture. What if at the end of our life, because we went after one at a time, We didn't feel like we were doing any great grand thing. We didn't start a massive orphanage somewhere. But one by one we loved. And what if in a room full of people we could just see the impact of that, of a life of persevering, standing beside the lonely. Let me pray. Father, would you help us in this? Um, God, some of us are, are weary and spent because of coming alongside those who are in bondage to sin, are damaged. God, we need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need to remember and acknowledge and lean on your presence. We thank you, God, that first and foremost, you offer the lonely yourself. You offer them a hope beyond um, anything we could do. But Lord, you use us as your hands and feet to be administrators of that grace. I pray for this church family, God, that you would do remarkable things through individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, this morning we have uh, we have one to be baptized. Uh, this is Naomi. Come on in, Naomi.
And um, we have uh, several here who are uh, a part of a, a, a women's group, really, that, um, that Naomi began to be a part of a little bit ago. And I've asked her to kind of share a little bit about why she is has chosen to follow the Lord's example for us in uh, in baptism here this morning. So, Naomi, why don't you share with us? Six months ago, my husband and I started coming to NBC. And from the first time I came here, I felt that this was the church I wanted to make my home church. I felt a peace that I had been searching for for a long time, but I had never found. Two and a half years before I joined NBC, I'd been going through some really difficult times, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I felt lost and alone, (laughs) like something was missing in my life. And deep down inside, I knew it was a true relationship with Jesus, but I just didn't know how to get it. I tried coming to church off and on, but I never committed myself to it, so even though I had good days. I never really felt complete. Since I've been coming to church regularly and studying with the women's community group, I've learned that building a lifelong relationship with Jesus is a daily journey. It's not something that happens immediately overnight. And even though I may have a bad day now and then, I no longer feel like I have to get through it alone or that it's going to last forever. I feel that I've finally opened my heart to Jesus, and in doing so have found what I was missing and searching for. I'm excited every day to learn more about Jesus and to build the relationship that was missing from my life. There were two scripture verses that I've always had with me. One just really touched me so much that I printed it out on a little card, and when I was working, I had it hanging in my cubicle, and I kept a copy of it in my wallet, and it seemed like I just had it everywhere. And that was Philippians 3.13. It said, I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I'm really doing that now because it was really a struggle. It seemed like um, things would just pop up, and kind of dragged me down again, but I'm not going to do that anymore. And the second one is Psalms 55.22. It says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fail. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm just casting them all on Jesus and saying, okay, I'm not taking care of them on my own anymore because I can't. I need you to help me through the bad times, and especially be with me to acknowledge you in all of the good times. It was um, it was just really amazing to hear Naomi's story, and she would be faithfully coming uh, every single Wednesday to to this women's um, community group, and it was just so powerful to hear her share some of the story, and then. Um, and then not long ago to, to walk through the scriptures of what baptism was. She just felt the Lord putting this on her heart that she wanted to really go public with her faith and say that she's found a relationship in Jesus Christ. And um, it's just so exciting to, to see what's going on in, in her life. And we look forward to see where the Lord's going to lead her. Um, Naomi, let me just ask you these two questions that we talked about uh, in the scriptures. 
Um, do you believe that Jesus Christ is uh, the Son of God, that he left his rightful throne, came to this earth to live a perfect life, uh, die on the cross for your sin and for mine, and then rose again on the third day to free us from sin? I do. And have you chosen to follow him and you commit to following him the rest of your days and uh, and keep him and, and acknowledge him as, as Lord and Master of your life? I will. Well, it's based on this profession of faith that I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I just am so excited for what you're doing in Naomi's life, and we just praise you, God, that you um, have revealed yourself to this daughter of yours, and that she is um, joyfully proclaiming that she is yours, God, and we thank you for the picture of baptism and what it is, we thank you, Lord, that we get to be raised to walk in newness of life. And, Father, I pray that you continue to use this women's group to minister to her. And, Lord, that in the days ahead, you would use Naomi and her gifts to minister to other people, God, as you wrote them into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.